0: Good afternoon. Welcome to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I hope to entertain you, educate you. Just generally, let's spend an hour together and talk about business. So here we are in the second month, I would say, of what they call lockdown. I do have a client who was at the meeting a week or two ago for the Downtown Business Restaurant Group. I'm not sure if it was the Downtown Business Association or just a group of restaurant owners. I'm not sure. And I think they're planning on reopening May 15, which is real soon on a Friday. I'm not sure what the latest is on that, but hopefully that's what they're planning on doing. And Business in Chico. I noticed that the traffic is almost like, well, I mean, it's not like a school day would be at this time of day, but I do notice that traffic is definitely picking up versus a month ago. I think people are getting more out and about. When I go to the store, I try to do an informal survey in my head of how many percent, what the percentage is of people wearing masks and people not wearing masks. And honestly, I think think it's been about 50-50 lately. I am planning a trip to Costco in the next couple days and I've heard that you are mandatory mandatory to wear a mask there when you shop, so I'll have my I'll have my mask available for that. Has anybody been to the hospital? I honestly wouldn't go right now even if I was sick just because of what I see them trying to they're trying to test everyone and label everyone. And I would be curious to know whether the hospitals are crowded like they should be, but I don't think they are. So I'll just have to, I'll have to do a little reporting on that. I didn't bother driving down to Enloe today just to see, but I have a feeling they're not very crowded because number one, they canceled all the, the, they call them elective surgery, but some of them don't seem that elective to me, but, It's sort of, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I won't, I'm not a doctor, so I won't comment on that, but I have a feeling low is very slow. I've seen some reports of nurses who've been laid off because without anything going on, the hospitals are pretty much empty. But I'll let the medical community figure that part out. So as far as, One of the things that's been happening for the last month or so is this stimulus payment. Clients are constantly calling me because I do a lot of income taxes. They're always calling me with some sort of question and every day I get a new angle on the stimulus questions. And today was one that I hadn't had before. I didn't know this. Last year, one of my clients was an elderly woman and she passed away in the fall of 2019. And we did her final tax return and she didn't have high income. Her daughter called me today and said, I received a deposit, direct deposit into her bank made out to her name, deceased with my name as the care of what do I do? And my first thought, since I had never looked this up, I thought, well, Obviously, the IRS and the government knows that the person's deceased because it was titled deceased on the letter that got sent with it. At first, I just assumed that that's legit because that person was alive in 2018, 2019, and they didn't have high income, so they were entitled to a stimulus. Then I thought about the fact that the stimulus is designed to perk up the current economy And if you send it to someone who's deceased, that wouldn't really make sense. After I hung up with that client who had notified me of that, I said, I think you can cash. I mean, it's already in their bank. It's not a matter of choosing to cash a check or not. I looked it up and lo and behold, I didn't know this, but on May 6th, the Treasury or the IRS had announced that if you're deceased and you get one of these, send it right back. That's Just something new to me I didn't know. The rule is if you're deceased and you get a stimulus check, you need to send it back to the IRS. If it's been direct deposited like it was in this case, then someone needs to write a check to send it back. Kind of crazy, but that's the way it went. I honestly thought that maybe they would just let those go because the person, quote, earned it in the right time frame, but maybe not. What about someone who passed away in March of 2020 but filed a final return in 2019 and they were alive for part of 2020? I wonder how that I guess that would go the same way. Sometimes you can't be that logical, but you know, usually the IRS stuff has a logical basis when you kind of dig deeper into it, but this one I'm I haven't quite figured that one out yet. I'm not sure what I think of that, but the rule is yes, you have to send it back. Another Stimulus issue that came up for me in the last week or two. I'm trying to read this email from a client to explain what happened. So. This client submitted their direct deposit information. It worked with their older or their newer address that wasn't on their tax return. So they had been going in to see where their stimulus was based on the address on the tax return on 2018. And when they finally got able to punch in and get the info on the IRS website about the stimulus, they had used their new address, which was not on a tax return yet. So this is what the client wrote to me. In doing a search for what might be wrong, I read that the IRS somehow connects with USPS, which is the post office, to find what is the most recent address if you had put a forward in. The IRS learns of the new address. So anyway, that was just something that I was kind of a little bit perplexed by. I haven't really studied it. But if you're having trouble logging into the IRS, there's an IRS portal on irs.gov, and it's about checking on my stimulus or where's my stimulus try if you have an older if you're typing in your old tax return address but you have a new address and you're getting an error message this email from this client of mine is telling me go ahead and type in your current address and it might be in the irs system based on this post office interrelationship that's that's what I'm gathering out of that. What I'm trying to say is if you're looking for your stimulus check and you're having trouble and you're getting an error message every time you log in, try it using a different address, like a more recent address even though the IRS shouldn't know that and maybe they already do. After all, this is uh, we did get uh, we did get through 1984, didn't we? Here's another interesting thing. If anybody is uh, dealing with a business business person who's getting a, it's called a PPP loan, payroll protection plan loan. So a lot of people have received the money from the PPP loan, but now they have to grapple with, am I going to have to pay this back or not? One of the questions on this PPP loan was, is it tax-free? And technically the answer earlier on was that, yes, this is a tax-free advance. And if you spend it on the right things, it's not taxable. Well, here's the way they've clarified that whole issue of whether it's taxable or not. In the last week or two, they've come out and said, it's technically not taxable income if you spend it correctly, but the payroll that you're spending it on to make it not repayable, in other words, to make it so you don't have to pay it back, that payroll expense is not a deduction. I don't want to get too convoluted on this, but what that really says is that it's taxable. In other words, if you have a business that gets a $30,000 PPP loan and properly spends that 30000 on payroll and uh, part of it on mortgage payment or utilities and payroll taxes and they do everything by the book, then yes, they don't have to pay the $30,000 back. But at the same time, they're not allowed to deduct the $30,000 of expenses that that loan paid for. It's a little bit convoluted. The bottom line is the thing ends up being a taxable event the money ends up being taxable because they don't let you deduct the expenses that you're paying with it to make it qualify. Here's another quandrum these business owners are in that receive this PPP money. By the time they got this loan and by the time they even applied for this loan, their business had been shut down and their employees had all been laid off and the employees had gone to do unemployment. This money, when they get it, they have eight weeks, or eight times seven is 56. They have 56 days to spend that money on the right thing, which is 75% payroll, 25% utilities and mortgage and rent. There's a problem there. If they pay payroll during this eight-week period to their employees that they had to let go because there's no business, those employees are now drawing unemployment. What complicates that, the unemployment has been supplemented by an extra federal $600 a week. I don't know for sure. I haven't actually looked at the numbers of the people receiving unemployment. Most people on unemployment right now, in my opinion, and I don't know the true answer to this, but I believe I'm right, most of those people are receiving more money now than they were when they were working. That's a disincentive for them to hope the business opens up and it hires them again. It's also a big problem for the employers who have to spend this PPP money on payroll to not have to pay the money back. But if they pay payroll to someone who's on unemployment, that person's going to get in trouble with the unemployment department, which is a state run thing, even though it's kind of, you know, it's sort of affiliated with federal, especially with this bonus $600. It's a very mixed-up mess for all these PPP-receiving businesses. I've just been advising people spend it on payroll, spend a little bit of it on utilities and rent, and we'll get all the paperwork done later because that's what it was for. It just makes it a big mess when some of the people on payroll are actually receiving unemployment and if they start getting regular payroll checks that's going to mess up their eligibility for the unemployment which at this time seems to be paying more than what they were actually making working which is always a disincentive i've always felt that when when food stamps and welfare become as much or more than a low paying job the incentive to work is pretty much gone and that's just sort of in theory i haven't studied that or done any surveys, but generally that seems to be that way. I put myself in the, in the place of someone who's unemployed. If I could get just as much money by not working as I would by working, hmm, what would I choose? That's a tough one. I'll leave that up to you to do your own, uh, do your own answer on that. So the fact that you can't deduct the expenses that the PPP loan pays for sort of means to me that it is taxable, and that's sort of the way it goes. Now, it's still better to get taxable money than to never get it at all. It's still better to get that money and not be able to deduct it than to never have gotten it at all and deduct some expenses. I found another article that I wanted to share, and it has to do with the, and this was a week or two ago. So this is getting a little bit better. It's about a week ago. The first round of this PPP got a lot of criticism because a lot of large companies were able to qualify for this free money. And so some of them have sent it back, some of them haven't. Uh, the funds are basically, they basically ran out. And uh, it's just kind of a mess. But in the next, uh, in the later portion of the show today, we are going to talk about the deficit and all this extra money that's being spent. I'll be right back after this break. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be right back.
1: Hey guys, I'm Bob the Drop, welcome to my podcast. Do you like water? If you do, you're going to love me. I'm pure and simple, I'm talking refreshing. Yeah, spent 500 years in a glacier, boy was that cold. I never was and never will be tap water. Nope, bottled at the source, the base of Mount Shasta. Yep, pure and simple, naturally the best. You can try me by calling 1-800-922-6227, Mount Shasta Spring Water. Hi, this is Rick McConnell with a Disciple Tip. Nobody has to tell you when you need more gas in your car, you look at the gauge, and if it's low, you put some gas back in. But what about your spirit? It works pretty much the same way. Your spiritual tank can get empty, and when it's low, you need a spiritual fill-up. But you don't have a gauge on your spirit to see how low you're getting. But there are some signs like depression, irritability, and a sense that God is far away. See Galatians chapter 5 for more signs of an empty tank and the secret of getting your spiritual tank full again. A message from Life Radio, KKXX AM and FM.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA, taking a break in the extended tax season through July this year to hopefully bring you some news, information, business buzz. This is all related to business. It's all related to money, your money, and where it went. I've got so many things here to go through. I don't want to uh, burden, I don't want to make it confusing, but I'm just going to kind of take these in the order that I put them in. We were just talking about the PPP loans and the stimulus checks. This article is actually dated April 13th of 2020, which is now, well, you know, three or four weeks ago. And it's called American Workers Get a Four-Month Safety Net. Wall Street Gets a Four- to Five-Year Bailout. And this is from a a real good website I like called WallStreetOnParade.com. And the article is written by Pam and Russ Martens, M-A-R-T-E-N-S, as in Doc Martin's shoes. And I'm just going to read some of this and let let you think about this. The stimulus bill passed by Congress and signed into law by President Trump in March, the CARES Act, increases the miserly amount most states provide in unemployment benefits, an average of $378 weekly by an additional $600 per week. But that extra $600 only lasts until July 31, a period of four months. Millions of small businesses such as restaurants and retail shops will shut down permanently as a result of this business disruption, meaning that workers in places like Florida, the third most populous state in the U.S., will be back to their preposterously low weekly unemployment allotment of two hundred seventy five dollars per week in just four months. Let that sink in for a moment. A worker in Florida where Republican Governor Ron DeSantis is in charge is expected to live on $275 a week or $1,100 per month or the annualized amount of $13,200 per year. That $275 a week hasn't increased in more than two decades despite the cost of food and housing soaring over that period. Among the 50 states, Florida ranks dead last in terms of how long its Scrooge-esque unemployment benefits last, just 12 weeks versus 26 weeks for most other states. Other states with Dickensian unemployment benefits include Mississippi, Arizona, Louisiana, and Alabama. The CARES Act will give workers an additional 13 weeks of unemployment benefits on top of the typical 26 weeks, but only at the rate their state is paying, and those additional weeks will end on December 31 of 2020. In numerous states, newly unemployed workers have been unable to contact their dysfunctional unemployment office. The Tampa Bay Times published stories from laid-off workers attempting in vain to file for unemployment benefits in Florida. One worker called it a some sort of sick nightmare. So the, it starts talking about how bad it is in some of these states to get through and get your stuff filed. Now, here's the point of this article. Now consider how the Federal Reserve Bank of New York and Congress take care of Wall Street. On September 17, 2019, and that's way before all this virus thing, that's all I'll call it, the virus thing started, the interest rate on overnight loans repo made between banks and other financial institutions spiked from typical 2% to 10%. There was no coronavirus outbreak anywhere in the world at that point. There were no skyscrapers collapsing on Wall Street. There was no national emergency of any kind to warrant bailing out Wall Street. But within 24 hours, the New York Fed had pumped $53 billion to the trading houses on Wall Street. No questions asked. No clogged phone lines. No paperwork to fill out. No standing in line. No asking Congress for a vote. Just $53 billion created out of thin air by the New York Fed and instantly funneled out to Wall Street's trading houses with the push of an electronic button. Over the next six weeks, the New York Fed pumped out more than $6 trillion in below-market-rate loans to Wall Street's trading houses without one single hearing being held in Congress to investigate what was going on. And again, there was no national emergency, just bloated behemoth banks on Wall Street with dodgy financials afraid to lend to one another. The exact same situation that brought on the financial crisis in 2008 that led to a $29 trillion secret bailout by the New York Fed that lasted for two and a half years. Last year's repo bailout by the New York Fed, which was in September, is still ongoing but is now just one of a mind-numbing number of programs the New York Fed has rolled out to bail out Wall Street banks and trading houses. Once again, the money is flowing effortlessly to Wall Street in the trillions of dollars, while 10,000 people waited in lines last Thursday in San Antonio, Texas, in 90-degree heat to get food from a food pantry. The Wall Street programs are not going to last for just four months or to the end of the year, as are the CARES Act programs for workers. They are going to last longer than they did during the 2008 financial crash. The New York Fed's term-asset-backed securities loan facility will last three years. The primary market corporate credit facility will last for four years and buy up investment-grade as well as junk-rated corporate bonds to shore up the balance sheets of mega banks on Wall Street. The secondary market corporate credit facility will last for five years, buying up everything from investment-grade to junk corporate bonds as well as junk-rated exchange-traded funds, ETFs. Just how is it that the New York Fed knows that it will need these emergency programs to be around for four and five years when the coronavirus outbreak is expected to end within months? Adding outrageous insult to injury. Sorry, I lost my place. Oh, Congress saw fit in the CARES Act to provide $454 billion of taxpayers' money to go into this alphabet soup of Wall Street programs to backstop any losses they suffer. Once again, just as in 2008, Wall Street has privatized the profits for the 1%, and now the losses will be socialized to workers on Main Street, where 16 million job losses have occurred in just the past three weeks. Mainstream media has been negligent at informing the public of the outrages by Congress, the Federal Reserve, and the New York Fed. Wall Street on Parade began in-depth coverage of this latest Wall Street looting on September 18, 2019, and has chronicled each new development in more than six dozen articles. You can access this free archive here. So they've got lots of articles. We are asking all of our readers to help change the course of history for America by picking up the phone and calling your senators and representatives in Congress and demanding equitable treatment for workers and small business. So anyway, I had to read that one in full because... That's basically the problem we've got. It's a big deal when everybody gets $1,200 in a stimulus check, but these crooks with these big banks get trillions and trillions and no one even notices it. It just gets done. It's disgusting. But anyway, I don't want to uh, proselytize, as they say. I'm not a preacher. I don't play one on television. So here's another article from those same people in March. Let me see what this has got. Yeah, this has to do with the bailout in 08. I'm not going to go over that again. I've been talking about it. But it took, it basically literally took an act of Congress, which was called the uh, Dodd-Frank financial reform legislation in 2010. There's an Part of that required the Fed to disclose where the $29 trillion went in 2008. And there's an article here. I'm not going to bore you with every detail, but Citigroup got $2.6 Merrill Lynch got $2.4 Morgan Stanley got $2.2 AIG got over a trillion. Barclays Bank of America and BNP Paribas. Okay, Barclays. Barclays is a British bank, BNP Paribas is a French bank, those two plus Bank of America got a trillion each. Can I ask where in the, where in the world is our Federal Reserve, our tax dollars allowed to send trillions of dollars to foreign banks? Uh, where does that come from? Unbelievable. Goldman Sachs just under a trillion. Bear Stearns just under a trillion. Oh, Swiss Bank Credit Suisse, 772 billion. Deutsche Bank Germany, 711 billion. Wow. I needed a break after seeing that. I'll be right back on Business Buzz. Stay tuned.
1: to start quite a few things have to happen with split second timing many things can happen perfectly but if one small thing doesn't work our radio station is much the same way we can have all the right teaching and talk programs we can be broadcasting to thousands but if one crucial element is missing it just doesn't work that element is your financial support of our programs regular financial support and prayer support we depend on it with you standing behind us everything will run just fine you're listening to live radio kkxx am and fm in this age of ear-tickling, where are we to turn to hear the Word? This is Pastor Greg Lundsted from Equipping the Saints Radio, and I would like to invite you to tune in to Equipping the Saints to hear the uncompromising preaching and teaching of God's Word on this station. Look us up on the web at www.etsradio.org. We look forward to our time in the Word together.
2: Pastor Greg Lunsted and Equipping the Saints Radio. Weeknights at 6.30 here on KKXX.
1: What is hope? Hope to me was just that he would get to come home. I had no
0: idea how hard it would be once he got back. I wish she would stop drinking so much. She thinks it's helping, but it's not. I act like I don't care if he comes to my games, but I hope he does.
1: I hoped he'd get help. He told me to stop asking. I didn't. Then one day he asked for a ride. Hope is knowing there are other families just like
0: yours, that the veterans they love got help and recovered. Go to maketheconnection.net and turn hope into action.
1: Just for a moment, consider how much you pay each month for cable or satellite, video rentals, or for a movie in the theater each month. Or how about each year? And let's be honest, how often do any of these really have positive messages? Now consider that we as a station bring you positive entertainment, encouragement, and ministry 24-7. What is that worth to you? If every listener gave just a few dollars to our program, our ministry would grow exponentially. We would like to thank all of our listeners or financially supporting our teaching and talk program. Tell your friends about Life Radio, KKXX, AM and FM.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm glad you have part of your afternoon to spend with me. I've got so many things to talk about, I'm going to run out of time. So I'm going to just move along here. We were just talking about $29 trillion 12 years ago. They didn't fix anything. They just sent money to their friends, which is basically what it works out to be. And so one of the problems I find is when I talk to people about a trillion dollars, it doesn't even register. So I... Got a couple of articles I brought here. One is called, this is from the New York Times, which of course I would never rely on for news, but this is more statistical math. It says, just how long is a trillion seconds? This is from September 28th, 1986. But I just thought I'd share this because it's very important when we start talking about trillions and trillions of dollars, it's important to understand what a trillion is. So this article just sort of talks about a trillion seconds, and I've talked about this before. It says, It occurred to me reading Joseph Sawyer's letter on the national debt ceiling that I didn't know what one trillion is, let alone two trillion. Of course, back then it was two trillion. Now it's like 25 trillion. Knowing there are 12 zeros in a trillion didn't help much either. Why not think of it in terms of seconds, I asked myself. A trillion seconds would have to be years, probably many years ago. I made a wild guess. As it turned out, I wasn't close. I found that 1,000 seconds ago was equal to almost 17 minutes. It would take almost 12 days for a million seconds to elapse and 31.7 years for a billion seconds. Therefore, a trillion seconds would amount to no less than 31,709 years. A trillion seconds ago, there was no written history. The pyramids had not yet been built. It would be 10,000 years before the cave paintings in France were begun and saber-toothed tigers were still prowling the planet. I was stunned. At first I thought I must have made a mistake, but a banker friend checked my figures and pronounced them accurate. Was I alone in not knowing how long ago a trillion seconds was? I asked some of my neighbors what they would say if they were told they could have $1 trillion in $1 bills so long as they agreed to initial each bill. Their answers were very similar. No. When I asked why, they said, because it would take me the rest of my life. We must, all of us, especially our elected officials, stop thinking of a trillion seconds as merely a long time ago, and a trillion dollars as just a lot of money. Well, uh, anyway, that article was kind of funny because that was written in 1986, and I'm assuming by this article date, I mean what they're saying, I guess they were complaining that the deficit was going to go to a two trillion dollars, and that was just horrible. Well, guess what? It's now twenty-five trillion, and that's just yeah. Who knows if that's a real number or not? So I've got a couple other things to try to educate you a little bit as to what a trillion's all about. How t- here's one: How tall is one million dollars in hundred-dollar bills? I've done the math to go further, but this article talks about 1 million. So a stack of $10,100 bills, which is a million dollars, is 43 inches thick. So $1 million is 43 inches thick. So I went ahead and did, these are $100 bills. These aren't $1 bills. They're $100 bills. Now you know how hard it is to get a $100 bill? A hundred bucks is still a decent amount of money. So a million dollars of a stack of hundred dollar bills is forty-three inches tall. A billion dollars, which is a thousand million, and in Europe they call it a thousand million, they don't say billion. A billion dollars in hundred dollar bills is thirty five hundred and eighty-three feet, which is about two-thirds of a mile. So a trillion dollars in hundred dollar a stack of hundred dollar bills is a thousand billion. The trillions of thousand billion, so one trillion dollars in hundred dollar bills is six hundred and seventy miles. That would be like driving from, and I looked this up, from Chico to Vancouver, Canada. And next to your car the whole way, is a stack. Not end to end, but a stack, of hundred dollar bills. Could you imagine? You know what kind of drive that is to go all the way to Vancouver. That drive, you would pass by a stack of $100 bills all the way to Vancouver from Chico, and that's only $1 So I took it a little further in my math, because I enjoy math. It's fun, especially when you're talking about crooks stealing everybody's money. And so when I looked at usdebtclock.org, which is a great website to go to, it's called usdebtclock.org. Clock.org, dot org and it it has all the things going all at once, the clocks of all the debt so u s debt clock was basically twenty five trillion the other day when I did this. so I translated the one trillion equals six hundred and seventy miles and I multiplied that by twenty five trillion and what I came up with was six hundred I'm, I'm sorry sixteen thousand seven hundred and fifty miles and I thought to myself. There's no way to say from here to there on that because that's more than halfway around the world. So since I had been to London last summer, I realized that $25 trillion of that debt clock national debt would be a stack of $100 bills from Chico to London, but backwards. In other words, straight from Chico to London is only 8,000 miles. That would only be $12 trillion. So you would have to go from Chico across the Pacific, across the Far East, across Europe, across Africa, across the Atlantic, no, not across the Atlantic, across Europe to London. That would be 16,750 miles. So basically what I'm saying is this debt is hopeless. It's never going to be paid. Now, another good way to look at that $25 trillion is this. If you've ever driven around looking for houses like with a realtor and you see all these houses every street has a house this one's worth you know even in Chico this one's selling for 300 this one's selling for 350 this one's 275 this one's 475 you know you could drive down a street and accumulate 3 or 4 million dollars just driving down a short street and that's in Chico so what I looked up is the housing market value in the U.S. in 2018, which is two years ago, which is probably lower than it is now, but I won't I won't get into arguing that. The housing market in 2018 is $33.3 trillion. So the reason I point that out is, can you imagine driving around every neighborhood of houses in the entire country Just think of every city you drive through or visit, you see a few houses on the way. You might drive to someone else's house so you see a couple of neighborhoods. Well, this would be driving down every street in our whole country and looking at every house we drive by, including things like Beverly Hills and Malibu and Laguna Beach and all those expensive places. Could you imagine all of those houses that you could drive through it would take you your lifetime and more to ever do it is barely more than what they say is our national debt which is 25 trillion right now to me that's absolutely unbelievable i mean i could just drive around chico and start adding up house values from you just pick a street and the average house is 350 and you drive by 20 houses on one street That's $7 million that you just covered in about, you know, a minute or less. The entire residential housing market in the United States is $33 trillion and our debt is $25 trillion, of which most of it has been given to the rich guys. So how do you like them apples? I think it's disgusting. Now we'll keep moving. Okay, so I've got, two different areas to talk about. I'm not even going to have time today to get through all this, but I'm going to try. So my two areas to talk about are number one, our medical problem with the coronavirus thing. And the reason it's such a problem, in my opinion, is because the press that you read and the TV you watch is not telling you what you need to know. So I've got a... couple of examples of this that I'm going to cover first, and we're going to come up on that last break, so I'm going to have to do this toward the last uh, section of the show. I'm going to start right now with an article from, I want to preface this with, can you believe what you're hearing when you watch the news? This is from July 17th, 2013, it's from a place called uh, freepress.org. And it says, Operation Mockingbird, New York Times confesses to role in subverting First Amendment. So I'm just going to start reading. For the NSA, which is National Security Administration, to succeed in spying on Americans and violating the Constitution without mass demonstrations, you must first understand how the security industrial complex compromised the mass media. In the Monday, July 14, 2013 New York Times, we get a rare glimpse into that historical tragedy fittingly on its obituary page. The death notice. Austin Goodrich, 87, spy posing as reporter, detailed seldom-seen facts about the legendary Operation Mockingbird. The aptly named Mockingbird was a covert CIA campaign to create a mass media echo chamber during the Cold War. The Times lead is telling. In the 50s and 60s, Austin Goodrich was far from the only journalist doubling as a secret agent for the United States. Indeed, Alex Constantine in his Mockingbird, The Subversion of the Free Press by the CIA, estimates some 3,000 salaried and contract CIA employees were eventually engaged in propaganda efforts. The Times credits reports by Rolling Stone and the New York Times for revealing, I knew that break was coming. We're going to get a little bit more into what you're hearing on the news and a little bit of medical news, medical business news. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'll be right back.
1: Genesis, foundational for marriage. This is Ken Ham, author of the books, The Dinosaurs of Eden, and D is for Dinosaur. What is marriage? Well, according to many in our culture, it's a union of two people. But why two? Well, that comes from the Bible. You see, the foundation for marriage is in Genesis. Marriage ultimately isn't a government institution or a social or cultural one. It's God's institution. And he ordained marriage as between one man and one woman, We don't get to define marriage. God does. Now, many people don't think what we believe about Genesis matters, but it does. You see, marriage is grounded in Genesis. Without the history in Genesis, there's no foundation for marriage. But when we start with God's Word, we have the right foundation.
0: Discover more about the foundational nature of Genesis when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I got so much to cover, I'm going to have to kind of get moving here. I've got one more segment, and we're not going to get through it all, but I want to get this implanted in your brain like they do. So I was talking about Operation Mockingbird, and this article has one interesting paragraph. It says, The end of Goodrich's obituary is meant to be touching, but its irony is obvious. His daughter, Christina Goodrich, told the Times he really believed in the importance of the democratic way of life and the danger of any system that would lead to totalitarian control over people. Then the author says, a man who secretly worked for a spy agency while subverting a free press and turning it toward government propaganda as a predecessor to our current mass spying by the NSA is, purported, is portrayed as a hater of totalitarian control. So he's being kind of uh, facetious there. Uh, it goes on to the history of Mockingbird in 1948, blah, blah, blah. The stuff starts making me sick after a while, but I wanted to share some of it. Um, let's see. Uh, it just explains where it really started. Uh, it was used to help cover up the overthrow of the democratic Iranian government in 1953 and during the Bay of Pigs fiasco. Anyway, you can read that if you want. It's from freepress.org and it's dated July 17 and it's called Operation Mockingbird. So the reason I brought that up is one of my favorite topics is the $21 of missing money uh, analyzed by Dr. Skidmore from Michigan State University and Catherine Austin Fitz who works with him. I've talked about this many times, but What I wanted to show you was the deliberate deception of a journalist in talking about a story that I've detailed quite a few times. So I'm just going to tell you right now that, uh, I'm looking at an article called from the, it's from Forbes. Oh, we can, we can believe them. Anyway, this column is co-authored with Mark Skidmore professor of economics at Michigan state university. And, uh, I've talked about this before, but this guy studied a period from, I believe, 1998 to 2015, and he specifically made a note that it was the Department of Defense and the Housing and Urban Development, which is called HUD. Those two departments alone in those 17-year period totaled a $21 trillion missing money in their financial statements. After they reported this, the Department of Defense and HUD took down those statements took down the uh, financial information from the internet but these people saved enough copies to where it's it's obvious to be able to be shown so I've told you about this before on business buzz but basically our entire national deficit is stolen money that's been stolen and so but he clearly stated in this uh, thesis about the 21 trillion that it was Department of Defense and HUD, uh, Housing and Urban Development. I want to point out this because I'm going to read you part of an article from the New York Times, December 3rd, 2018. Uh, Author is named Linda Q, Q Q-I-U. And the title of this article is Fact Check of the Day. Now, this is exactly what I'm talking about, that mockingbird thing. This is the New York Times, the paper of record, fact check of the day. The misleading claim that $21 trillion in misspent Pentagon funds could pay for Medicare for all. Representative-elect Ocasio-Cortez, the rising liberal star, cited a figure that refers to nearly two decades of internal financial adjustments, not actual spending. So Ocasio-Cortez came out and mentioned this and said, well, we could pay for Medicare for all just with this stolen money. Now, here's what the journalist, I'm going to put journalist in quotes for this person. Here's what the journalist said. It says, the facts, this is misleading. Representative-elect Cortez, the New York Democrat who has become a darling of the progressive left, was quoting from an article in The Nation about massive accounting fraud committed by the Pentagon from 98 to 2015. But her suggestion that the $21 trillion in military transactions could have already paid two thirds of the cost goes beyond what the article reported and is misleading. Now this is the journalist talking for starters, the combined Pentagon budget for 1998 to 2015 was 9.2 trillion. Okay. Do you see where I'm going with this? She's not mentioning that it was, it was department of defense plus HUD housing and urban development. This journalist is intentionally omitting half of the whole thing to make the author Skidmore look like a liar. That's exactly what's happening here. So it says, so where did the $21 trillion figure originate? It comes from an analysis of the Pentagon's unsupported journal voucher adjustments, quote, by Mark Skidmore. The term refers to improperly documented accounting adjustments that are made when different financial ledges do not match. In other words, $21 trillion is the total value of adjustments made to the Pentagon's Financial record over those years that could not be traced. That's a deliberate misconception that's being perpetrated by another mockingbird journalist. That's that's what I'm trying to point out. So this journalist goes on to you know boo, poo-poo the whole 21 trillion. I've already gone into that in detail. A lot of people have followed this, um, but just the fact that this this journalist isn't mentioning HUD. So she can act like these Pentagon numbers couldn't possibly have happened. It's a total It's a total fabrication. And it's just another example of what you are being told that isn't true. Now, as far as, uh, I'm going to read one other thing that has to do a little bit with that because I've got a little bit of time. This is from a guy I really like. His name's Rob Kirby. His website's called kirbyanalytics.com. And so he talks about the fact that the dollar itself is dying and you're not getting told what's happening. So when you see your bank account with dollars in it, they're printing so much money that they're diluting the value of each dollar that you own. So he says, in recent interviews, I have borrowed a descriptive I originally heard from Chris Martinson explaining the effect of compound interest and exponential growth. And he's talking about the fact that we've done like $6, 7000000000000 just in the last month. The descriptive involved picturing Yankee Stadium and beginning with a drop of water and doubling the amount of water until the stadium was full. Regarding the compounding visual, I misspoke somewhat. The reality is that the time frame used, 50 minutes, is correct. I should have said that doublings only have to occur every minute, not every second, and the outcome remains the same. Stadium fills up in 50 minutes with all the action, water going from ankle deep to overflowing the stadium occurring in the last five minutes. This is the power of compounding. The underlying mathematics that supports that is understood by monetary officials responsible for stewardship of the world's reserve currency, the U.S. dollar. They and their propeller-head quant clowns model everything. So what he goes on to say, the plandemic, which is the pandemic, the plandemic was, conveniently or coincidentally, take your pick, dropped because we are on an exponential vertical growth curve for money which had to be created due to the magic of compounding before we ever had a virus. And that thing I told you about in that article with September where the overnight interest rate between banks went from 2 to 10%. That's what he's talking about. This started four or five months before the pandemic had to be released. So uh, let me just double-check here. I'm, I don't want to bore you with every, everything here. but So he says, do remember, folks, the chart above reflect the officially acknowledged money supply. So what he's saying is that if you look at a chart at the Fed's website, it looks like the money supply is rising, but it's not going up super steep. He says, but what about the fraudulently created missing $21 trillion identified with by Dr. Mark Skidmore from Michigan State and Catherine Austin Fitz, former Undersecretary of HUD? This money is not acknowledged to exist and is not part of the official monetary aggregate data depicted above. If one was to add the missing $21 trillion, to the 16-ish trillion depicted above the gross rate growth rate would indeed be vertical so folks while the fed may be able to legally claim that quantitative easing ended years ago the required monies have been created and they have been siloed in places like the exchange stabilization fund that's what people think okay now where's all this 21 trillion now here's this paragraph here the U.S. Exchange Stabilization Fund was established at the Treasury Department by a provision of the Gold Reserve Act of January 31, 1934. It was intended as a response to Britain's exchange equalization account. The fund began operations in April 1934, financed by $2 billion of the $2.8 billion paper profit the government realized from raising the price of gold to $35 an ounce from $20 an ounce. The act authorized the Exchange Stabilization Fund to use its capital to deal in gold and foreign exchange to stabilize the exchange value of the dollar. The ESF, as originally designed, was part of the executive branch and not subject to legislative oversight. The, website, the webpage devoted to the ESF claims that it contains only roughly $100 billion U.S. billion, but then again, it is not subject to legislative oversight, so who really knows? We also know that the ESF was created to protect the dollar. We also know that $21 U.S. dollars are unaccounted for. We also know that money growth matter-of-factly is greater than what it is reported because it must be. It is not a stretch to figure the existence of this dark money is the real reason why U.S. government bond auctions have never failed, despite the reluctance of America's traditional financiers to purchase record amounts of additional U.S. government debt. So, folks, while the Fed may be able to say they are not directly engaged in quantitative easing, the U.S. Treasury Exchange Stabilization Fund is and has been for some time because they must. Additionally, the Fed necessarily was complicit in assisting the ESF in creating the dark money. This is why the Fed will never be audited. And this is also why in an apparent departure from generally accepted accounting principles, and I am a CPA, and I play one on TV, federal agencies will be permitted to publish financial statements that are altered so as to protect information on classified spending from disclosure. It's all part of the big lie, ladies and gentlemen. So that was what he had written back in August of 2018. So, What he's sort of pointing out is that this whole virus thing has nothing to do with medicine. It is simply a cover for the collapse of the dollar and the world economy. So instead of going into coronavirus stuff, which I'm really getting sick of, I honestly have to laugh. Now, don't take off your mask because I told you to, because I'm not a doctor. But I honestly have to laugh when I walk around and see people wearing masks. So instead of going into any coronavirus stuff. I'm just going to read. Because I've only got like a minute left. I'm going to read part of A Course in Miracles. Because I feel like it. So let's see if I can find something for one minute that will make sense. Okay, page 745. We'll start from there. So we have the simplicity of salvation. How simple is salvation? All it says is that what, what was never true is not true now and never will be. The impossible has not occurred and can have no effects. And that is all. Can this be hard to learn by anyone who wants it to be true? Only unwillingness to learn it could make such an easy lesson difficult. How hard is it to see that what is false cannot be true and what is true cannot be false? You can no longer say that you perceive no difference in false and true. You have been told exactly how to tell one from the other and just what to do if you become confused. Okay, thanks for listening to Business Buzz. I'll be back next time. Have a great week. And put on those masks if you feel like you need to.
2: KKXX Paradise K280 GL
0: Chico and K283 AR
2: Chico sour from townhall.com I'm Keith Peters Lawyers for President Trump's first national security advisor, Michael Flynn, ask a federal appeals court to order the dismissal of the criminal case against Flynn.
0: Attorneys for Michael Flynn are asking the federal appeals court in Washington to dismiss Circuit Judge Emmett Sullivan from the case. They also want an order of dismissal of criminal charges against their client. The attorneys say Sullivan overstepped his authority when he delayed any decision of the Justice Department's request to drop the criminal case against Flynn who has pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI about his contacts with Russia's ambassador to the U.S. before President Trump was inaugurated. Sullivan has appointed a retired judge to argue against the department's position and to consider whether Flynn could be held in criminal contempt for perjury, for apparently lying about his lying to the FBI. Tim McGuire, Washington.
2: President Trump has unveiled a coronavirus relief package for the country's farmers and ranchers. The president announced a $19 billion program to support farmers and agricultural producers and to maintain a healthy food supply chain. These payments will compensate farmers for losses related to the global pandemic. And the bulk of the financial relief will be distributed in direct payments. $16 billion is going directly to the farmers and ranches. An additional $3 billion will be used by the Agriculture Department to purchase and distribute meat and produce to those in need. Greg Clugston, Washington. The latest U.S. sanctions on tech giant Huawei threaten to devastate the company and escalate a feud with China that could disrupt technology industries worldwide. Huawei Technologies is one of the world's biggest producers of smartphones and network equipment, but that business is in jeopardy after Washington announced restrictions on use of American technology by foreign companies that produce its processor chips. On Wall Street, the data by 390 points, the NASDAQ dropped 49. More on these stories at townhall.com.
1: This is Dennis Prager, and my friends, they're at it again. The left is doing its best to silence ideas it doesn't like. Hollywood does not want you to see my film, No Safe Spaces, which is why you won't see it on Netflix or Amazon Prime. But now you can watch No Safe Spaces for a limited time at nosafespaces.com. It's time to fight back and protect freedom in America. See No Safe Spaces. It is a great film starring me and Adam Carolla. Go to nosafespaces.com.
2: A computer hacking incident in Iran has some wondering